the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast. Well, it's good to be back in the podcast studio in Stoneville after several months of absence. This is Jason Bond. And I'm Tom Allen. So, Tom, uh, it's been several months since we've done this. How you been? I've been good. How about you? Busy. Doing, doing but well. We're, we're always busy this time of the year. Well, it's good to have you actually here. Uh, talk to you every day, but you hadn't been here in quite a while. That, so. That's right. <clears throat> a lot of the listeners probably don't know my wife broke her leg. So I have spent a tremendous amount of time as Mr. Mom. So I'm taking care of the kids, taking care of my wife, and trying to juggle in the work as it shows up. You're technically on leave, aren't you? I am. Well, today I'm not officially on leave, but for the most part, I have technically been on major medical leave for the better part of the last month. See, now the right answer was, yeah, I'm on leave. I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart. Out of the goodness of my heart. No, I had to come down here to spend the the day with you working on this. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Certainly needed needed the assistance. So I think the last podcast that we did in the fall maybe like mid-October or something, was around burn down and ryegrass and fall herbicide applications. And that's what we're going to get to uh, today as well. In the meantime, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. If you compare the winter of you know, 2020 into 2021 to the previous two, three uh, at least, that's exactly at least what two. Say. At least two with the with the greater rainfall we've we've seen, lack of overall field prep, being way behind compared to what we are this year. At least driving around, looking, talking to folks on the phone, it seems like we're well ahead of what we've been the last several years. Definitely, you know, February of 2020, February of 2019. We're in no comparison right now. I mean, we've got spots, uh, but for the most part, like you said, if you drive, if you get on Highway 61 right here and drive to Walls, you know, you're going to see a very different Mississippi Delta than what you saw last year or the year before. Completely different. We had some dry weather in the fall, got a lot of field work done. and In my world, at least, along with that, we got quite a bit of burn down out in the fall. And I think some of that's met marginal success i think in areas that got too dry and we had to put some out on some some fluffy beds that may not have worked as well as we wanted it to do but i think you again drive down the highway and you can definitely tell the fields that have been treated uh, which is easy to see by this time of year so all right jason you re- you've really alluded to what happened in the fall last podcast conversation about burn down. And I think that's something that really needs to be discussed right now. It's very timely. It's timely that we're back in the studio. It's timely that there's a lot of planes in the air. There's been plenty of people out doing some field work in some places where it's been dry enough this week. But let's, let's talk about what the weather's planning on doing the end of this week. Uh, and I know that we don't normally talk about dates, but today's the 9th of February. And we're talking about a pretty significant potential rain event and some much cooler than normal or at least normal compared to what we've had the last few weeks' temperatures. Dude, teens is not cooler. Uh, <laughs> That's I'm sorry. Those of us that grew up in mostly the upper Midwest. No, it doesn't matter, dude. Fairly That's commonly cold. understand that the teen. <laughs> yes, okay, I would agree. And as my spouse would regularly tell me, you didn't normally refer to it as getting cold here up until the last few years. Well, we, I will admit, a little older. <coughs> you are older. Definitely, thinner. definitely older. I'm thinner. <laughs> that's that's right. Thinner a good bit. But 
you know, so talk to us about that. What what are our expectations moving through the next seven to ten days when it comes to burn down applications, product selection, uh, activity of those products with the weather that we're expected to get, and what you really should consider moving forward? Certainly have a lot of acres that have already been treated. Uh, majority of those, for sure, have been treated, you know, with aerial applications. I think it's been it just some folks missed that rain was that whatever day into last week. That's right, end of and, last week. And then the one on Sunday, you know, Saturday night into Sunday was light. Not near what the what the weathermen had really expected. So I think we've got in the field some, you know, over the past five or so days, depending on where you're standing. Some people have not, and then some people have had the luxury. Back to the burn-down application. Again, the majority of it's going out with an airplane. I think I haven't really seen any that you can say this has worked or this hasn't worked. I don't think any of it has been on really long enough to make an assessment on what your next move is. But I'm sure there's some because I know there's someone out in early January, and I just right. haven't laid eyes on those. So with this weather coming and then all, you know, a lot of grand scheme of things, a lot of field work being, and by field work, in this case, I'm talking about spraying, being done over the last few days. It's how does that temperature chain change affect what you're doing? And so, I, I mean, I think it affects it big time because at some point you got to quit spraying, uh, you know, whether it's calling the planes off or stopping the ground rigs because you're going to get too close to when that weather, you know, when those temperatures do begin to, to drop. And in this case, they seem like they're going to drop pretty rapid. So I don't know that this episode of this podcast is going to get out there, uh, you know, in time to, to make much impact there. But the conversations I've been having on the phone, and so this would apply to any, you know, the next weather system or, or next year or any time. So I think you need to give yourself some time because you got herbicide uptake. It's an active process in the plant so you know the herbicide is going to get in the plant but then it's got to move through the plant in the in the case of something like roundup 2,4-D roundup 2,4-D clethodim it's got to move to the the site of action of the herbicide within the plant so it's not a matter of just getting it on the plant or in the plant it needs to get to where it's going and that takes time. Uh, so what kind of lead time would you expect to get that on, and, and I think that's a that's a logical question that most farmers want to address. Consultants, field representatives, what kind of time are we talking about for that to get on the plant, move through that plant? What what's the lead-in process on that for the weather that, that could be expected here in the next five to seven days? It varies by herbicide. Okay, most of that has been identified, you know, a, as those products were being developed, and most of the time, you know, it varies. In this case, I don't have an answer. I mean, I could go look up what the, you know, what the specs are on the herbicide and give you the number for glyphosate or for clethodim. But I think rule of thumb, you know, all things considered, I'm saying give it about 48 hours. I'm not basing that on anything but a guess and, you know, some experience. It may be you know, 24 hours may be realistic and 72 hours may be realistic. And I think, you know, as we were talking earlier off the air, I don't think we'll know the answer to that after this way, you know, after the temperature is warmed back up or even on further down the line, you know, say middle of March. 
because other things are going to happen that are going to influence whether these applications that have gone out this week, how effective they actually are. Right. Well, and I think everybody chooses to err on the side of caution because there is, in most cases, no right or wrong answer in yeah. some of those situations. I would say that, you know, whenever the temperatures moderate again and, you know, for February, say it's in the, you know, lows in the 40s, highs in the low 60s, maybe, you know, whatever close to normal is the first day it goes from, say, sub freezing to 45 or 55. I wouldn't spray that day because I think you need to give those target plants some time to reacclimate and get things moving in those plants again create some healthy tissue because you're basically going to be spraying an injured plant. Right. If you move that to summertime and say you have a field that stands underwater for a few days, you wouldn't automatically run out there and spray that field by air the first day the water gets off. You got to let everything kind of come back to equilibrium. And it's the same thing this time of year. And I think that's a conversation that we don't have very often is the fact that a lot of our burn-down applications are made on plants that are not necessarily green and healthy and growing, whether it's because the soil saturated or it's cold or it's cold and the soil is saturated. So plants can be stressed in the winter months yeah, just I, like they can be stressed in the summer months, and that that's not something we discuss. Right. And so if you bring that into the what drives the train around here, for burn down, which is ryegrass. I mean, that's the number one question that we that I get for burn down is how how do I deal with my ryegrass issue? And looking around in a lot of fields the last few weeks, just driving up and down the highway, there are some places where we're starting to see some ryegrass coming on pretty strong. At least from Tom's vision of driving up and down 61, which he's not done a lot of. Yeah, uh, I mean, 2020, you know, spring of 2020, so a year ago, it was as bad as I've ever seen it. Uh, and not every field, but if you take the Delta as a whole, I would say that 2020 was about as bad as it's ever been in the time that we've dealt with, you know, glyphosate-resistant ryegrass and now clefidem-resistant ryegrass and any combination of multiple-resistant populations. Well, and I think there's a good question for the listeners, tends to be then, so what is our expectation from those field situations where we have been able to do a lot of earlier preparation? at least from what we've experienced the last few years, what's our expectation for the spring of 2021 when it comes to ryegrass? Better. Okay. For a couple of reasons. You know, if you go way back to when we were really, really doing a variety of things, looking, you know, in research with ryegrass, one of the things we did was monitor emergence over time across the delta. And so we had plots scattered from all the way north of Tunica, all the way down to Bentonia. It's just not technically in the Delta, but southern part of the right. area that, that, that we're responsible for from Stoneville. So what we would see, you know, with some exception, when the temperatures got right and there was moisture available in the fall, you know, we'd begin to get emergence. And that pretty much cease about the 15th of December. And then for a couple of months, there wouldn't be any. And as a rule, we don't get a real big spring flush in Mississippi. Most of our emergence occurs in the fall. Again, there's always exceptions. But when, where we do see spring emergence, it would usually start back up about the middle of February. So your question about 2021, with the field work that we were able to do in the fall, combined with the, the spray applications for the fall burn down, I think we took out that first flush 
in a lot of cases. And then the later you do that, you know, the smaller those plants are that emerge in the fall. So obviously a plant on February the 9th, a plant that emerged on November 15th is smaller than a plant that emerged on September the 15th. And so I think we're right now in most situations, we're dealing with fields that were prepared in the fall, may have been treated with a herbicide, may have not. And so you compare that to last year where we had rutted fields and it, nothing was done. So you had the full brunt of the fall emergence window kind of delta wide. And you certainly have that this year, but it's, it's individual fields. It's not big geographic areas. So what about product selection? Uh, two choices, clethodem and paraquat. After it comes out of the ground, that's all that we have access to that will adequately manage. I related a story to you when we were eating lunch earlier. I went back and looked at some of our oldest data on this when we were just screening products. So looking at you know everything under the sun that might kill the stuff. So we had four treatments that hit 80% or better. Post, which is, ooh, I said which is like I was thinking to spout out the <laughs> common name of it and I'm not. Uh, it's in the same family as Select or Clethodem. Post hit 80%, and that was where it landed. So good, not as good as some of the other ones. All right, the other treatments, Roundup plus Select Max, which is Clethodem. Select Max just happened to be the, the brand that we used. So Roundup plus Select, Select by itself, because it was a Roundup-resistant population that we were working with. They were basically the same, you know, within a couple percent of each other. And then Paraquat. So this is stuff that, like 2008 or nine, Tom, so no consideration of clethodem resistance in these populations at all. And these are, you know, treatments made to correctly sized target plants. So, you know, two to six inch plants, flat fan nozzle sprayed with a backpack walking three and a half miles an hour. So, uh, you know, as good as you can get as far as the spray application goes. Best case scenario yeah. from a plot research program. Yeah. 90% is the best that we got. That's the point I've tried to make. You know, you've got a product that if it works as, if it delivers its maximum punch, you're only at 90%. So you're not perfect regardless. And then you take all the factors that come in to translate that 90% to a commercial application where you are putting out big volumes across big acres. And we know that the translation from plot work to that is never, you know, it's never one-to-one. -one. It's all, you always give up some with a commercial application. So we don't really have anything that's perfectly reliable. And then the Paraquat, you know, in that same data set that I was referring to, Paraquat was right there with it. It was about 90% by itself. Uh, and it would be a little bit lower if you put it on bigger plants like we sometimes tend to do because we put Paraquat out a little bit later in the spring. Then you're down to, you're almost dedicated to two applications. And I don't remember what was in that episode in the fall, but I would assume that I referenced that in some kind of way, because usually if the program includes that fall application, then you clean it up with a, a spring application of one or the other. But if there's no treatment in the fall, it's really hard to completely control it. Uh, with one application, not saying that you can't at times, but 
more often than not, it's going to require two applications to get out of there. And how should you space those two applications apart? If that's the best application strategy sitting here almost the middle of February. Again, a lot of factors go into that. Well, like in our case, if we're doing plot work, and I'm going to make a clethodem application and then follow it with a paraquat application, three weeks probably, the time of the clethodem application would factor into that, whether it was in January or, or a little bit later. Two paraquat applications, I always say, you know, 10 to 14 days apart because that's about the time you're going to max out what you get out of the paraquat, plus you start seeing a little bit of regrowth. Now, you take that into a commercial field, and you got other factors at play, like crop choice, pre-plant intervals. And so there may be, there was, no, maybe there often are cases with that clethodem treatment where a field's going to corn, and you got to make another decision before you really know whether that treatment worked or not. Ideally, it, say it was real cold, you sprayed mid-January targeting March 1 planting date for corn, but it stayed cold. So the clethodem, if you just let it lay there, it may actually work after six weeks, but you don't have the luxury of waiting that long because you got to get something out in front of the, you know, a week or two, you know, three weeks before the before your planter gets there. And so you got to go ahead and pull the trigger and, and do something else. Whereas if it was a cotton field where your target planting date wasn't going to be till mid-April, then you may have the luxury of, of waiting a little bit longer. Right. Rule of thumb, I'd say three weeks between the two, maybe a month, you know, depending on the, the scenario. Well, and as always, follow some of that up. Scout those fields, look at them, and see how they look post-application. Burn down's different, obviously. I mean, everything is different with the exception of your spraying a herbicide. We scout big acres for burn down, and we spray big acres. You know, it's rarely a field-by-field -field basis. A lot of times, we don't check those fields as closely. For example, if you're spraying Palmer Amaranth on May the 15th, well, somebody's probably going to be back in that field, you know, within six to eight days checking. Uh, it's probably not working yet, but it's going to be working pretty soon. With burn down, you know, it's oftentimes maybe a couple, two or three weeks uh, before somebody goes back around and, and looks to see how, you know, if stuff's starting to turn yet. One, because, you know, everybody's just getting ramped back up working. And then two, there's no expectation that that treatment's going to begin to have worked, assuming it's, you know, like a glyphosate 2,4-D lithodium type treatment, which you don't expect to work within two or three weeks. Good rule of thumb to run around now and at least drive by the field and check it out. All right, so so what's your take-home message today, Jason? Knowing, knowing that the weather's probably going to change here in the next seven to ten days, how long should somebody wait to be making some of those decisions if you're telling them to hold off for the weather and the cooler temperatures? The biggest thing that we can do, you know, on this episode is to stress to folks that when it warms back up after this however many days worth of super cold weather that we're going to get, when it warms back up, give it a few days and let things kind of come back to equilibrium before we start treating fields with burn down again. So, okay, so over the next three to four weeks, I think we'll definitely add some episodes on this burn down situation and more crop tailored. Talk about cotton, what you do before the cotton crop, immediately after planting, soybean, rice, corn, and that way we get some of that information out there in a, in a timely fashion here 
over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think this is a, a window that we don't talk about much. Honestly, there's some really, really big decisions that get made. Well, and I think we're we're a little disadvantaged this year because we don't have the county meeting structure to yeah. really get out there and have some of these conversations. And at least we're we're following up with a lot of that. Phone calls uh, continue to come in in those situations. But I think the podcast at least gives us the ability to have some of those conversations with a much larger audience. In the case of you or, say, Don Cook, you know, when you all go to do a county meeting or you do the short course or, or whatever – Oftentimes, you're talking about, you know, how the how the previous year went or some of the research that you did. But one thing that y'all don't often talk about, you're never in exactly the right time frame, is like seed treatments. That's right. No, uh, I, I would. Just because the time of the year we're usually talking, we're usually not thinking about that. But a lot of those decisions have already been made, but there's still plenty to be made between now and the and planting time. So yeah. I think there's some really important information that we can get out see what all we can come up with so y'all y'all stay tuned and uh stay warm and keep getting us questions and content and and stay dry because it's obviously either going to rain or snow depending upon which weather app you're focused well, hope, on hopefully it snows and doesn't rain Yes, but even though I grew up learning to drive in the snow, I will not be the person that's out on the road. Freezing rain's a no-go. I don't go anywhere when it free- when it rains and it freezes. Tom stays at home. All right, folks, we're going to jump off for now. We appreciate y'all taking part of your day with us. And, of course, if we can do anything for you, just give us a call. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is produced by the Mississippi State University Extension Service. <laughs>